Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. Good to see all of you. Whoever said Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers that are out there. It's so good to be here. Uh, we are a full service. Uh, just the way things are working out at Harvest, we have everyone here today. It is family worship. So... For all of you uh, that are here, we do want to especially welcome our Seeds kids. If you're a Seeds kid, you want to raise your hand there for me a second there? All right. Howie, you can put your hand down. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, though, if you are a Seeds student here today, hopefully you have with you a clipboard and the markers and all that stuff uh, in order to take notes, in order to keep yourself occupied in a way that you are focusing not on the clipboard, but on God. So hopefully at the end of this, based on the notes that you have, as I understand it, uh, your notes, when you hand them in, you actually get a prize for having listened. Now, I, I know it's great to have listened, but hopefully you will actually have learned something at the end of this all as well. So we are ready to go, I think, and we are going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 4 through 13. Now, to kind of make it a little bit interactive, hopefully, uh, when you hear the word hero or superhero, what you probably first think of relates to the context that you're actually in. So if this were December of 2001 and you heard, who do you think of our heroes? A lot of people would have said first responders, all the firemen and policemen and all those people who ran into the buildings after 9-11. If this was around COVID times, you would think of the doctors and the nurses who were literally putting their life on the line to make sure that other people could live. But looking at our world today, I want us to think about other heroes or superheroes. So I actually have some real slides this week. And so my first set of slides, because we're going to talk about today how God uses ordinary people, but my first set of slides, if I had to say, when you think of a hero or a superhero, you think of... The Avengers, right? Iron Man, all those kind of guys, Thor, Hawkeye, Captain America. All these things, wow, those are the real heroes. But now, those are all adults, right? Those are all kind of the adult-type superheroes. Marvel actually has a teen superhero universe. And to show you how much I know pop culture, I'm going to share three of them with you. There's our three. Now, I know who they are because obviously I did the research So I'm going to ask you, first off, who is the one on the left? And if you guess Spider-Man, that does not count. What's his name? Go ahead, sister. Yeah, Miles. That's right. Very good. Congratulations. That is Miles. Very good. Who's the one in the middle? Anybody know who's the one in the middle? I saw a hand go up and down. Eugene, your son next to you. I I can't see that far. I'm sorry, bro. Not, not your wife, bro, your son. Who? Yeah, Ms. Marvel. Do you know her name? Do you know her name? Kamala Khan. Yeah, see? I'm in the know, right? I know you're impressed. Okay. The one on the end, I don't think anyone knows except Pastor Stan. This is Pastor Stan's favorite teen Marvel suit. You doubt me? I'm totally serious. Anyone want to guess who that is? Squirrel Girl, yeah, pretty good. Kind of helps the fact that it's written there, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, 
I will let you take me to lunch if you get what her name is. Dora Green. Doreen Green, sorry, Doreen Green. Did you say Doreen Green? You did? Okay, then we'll go to lunch afterwards. My treat, you buy. Excellent. So that's what you think of when you think of superheroes. Now, today and for the rest of the summer until Pastor Dave comes back from his sabbatical, I want to start a series, at least when I'm speaking, about teens in Scripture. Because to us, we often think that the heroes of the faith are normally the adults, people like Paul or Peter, and we consider them greats of the faith. But I want to suggest to you, because I think in Scripture you will find that there are a lot of teenagers who are actually heroes of the faith themselves. They are uh, (coughs) worthy of recognition. So I know oftentimes as adults we think, when we think of our kids, we think of what? They are the future of the church. We're building this church so that they have a church that they can come to when they finally take over their part of the church. And I want to suggest again that that's not true. Children are not the future of our church. You hear me say that correctly. They are not the future of our church. They are already our partners in ministry. Children and teens have that same sort of great faith that we can exhibit as adults and be worthy of recognition and follow as examples. And so today, I want to look at the story of David and his anointing as the king of Israel and give us a perspective that God uses ordinary people whose hearts are for him. So now, in order to do this, I've asked a couple volunteers. I've asked Brian Cho, I've asked Isaac and uh, Josh Chung. Where are you? Come on up. I need some... I need. I don't know why you're sitting. Please come on. Come on. You can do this. And Aiden, you're smiling. So Aiden Park, come on down, bro. Yes, Aiden Park, son of Howie. And uh, I'm going to read the scripture and try to do this uh, while I'm... It's okay, bro. It's all right, man. Come on. Yeah, we want you to come here. I know you're, I know you're nervous because you don't like microphones. Okay? And then uh, we're going to put you here, and then Josh, you're going to come here. So we need one, two, three, four. All right, so they're just standing here while I begin to read the scripture. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 16. Let's make sure that I pull that up. And then I will involve you as, as we get this along, okay? All right, okay, good, all right. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. Now, that comes out of the blue. Basically, Samuel was moaning, he was depressed, he was sad, King Saul, who was supposed to be the next king, this was going to be awesome, turned out to be a dud. And he's grieving because he's thinking, oh, we've blown it. We've made a big mistake. Now, the Lord says, go to Bethlehem. So when Samuel arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? It's kind of like one of those things like when the police knocks on your door and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, who committed the crime? And really, all they're doing is telling you, don't put on the gas or whatever, because there's some sort of leak and there's a problem. But that was the sense that these elders had. Do you come in peace? Samuel replies, yes, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons, and then he invited them to the sacrifice too. And when they arrived, okay, and this is where our, our scrubs come in. When they arrived... This is what happened. Eliab, the oldest, walked in. Okay, you're Eliab. And when Samuel looked at Eliab, he said, surely, not not surely because your name is Brian, and it would be Eliab in that, but he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, here we go. We have a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. He has military training. 
Yeah. Right, right? He's got to be the next king, right? Next president of the United States. Right on? Yeah. And, and, and Samuel was like, this is the guy. And, I mean, it seems pretty clear here. The Lord says, no way, man. Not him. He's out. Sorry, bro. Yeah. You're out. So why don't you go sit down because you're not worthy of anything anymore. <laughs> so, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. What happens again? Got a young man getting ready to get married. Solid, working man, getting ready to have a family if the Lord wills and all those good things. Guess what, bro? You are not the next king either. Uh. A lot of good things about you, but go ahead and sit down. You're not either. And it goes this way. Read on. Again, it says, this is the one the Lord has not chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. Here's Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this one the one the Lord has chosen. So here we have a guy, a young, handsome guy, up and coming, loves to worship, loves to do ministry even. But guess what, bro? You're not it either. So you get to sit down. And it's very sad, isn't it? It's not that God doesn't love you anymore. I just want the three of you to remember God loves you very much and loves you very deeply. You're just not king material. No, I'm just kidding. Don't worry. At the end of this message, you'll see that you are. Okay, so in the same way, <coughs> all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? This is great. Jesse replies, yeah, yeah, they're still the youngest, uh, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will sit down. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Okay, I'm not going to say you have beautiful eyes because that might be a little uncomfortable for you, but you are handsome. You look like your mom, thank God. But anyway, just, wow. Can you believe I just said that? Man, there goes that sermon. Anyway. Send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, now catch this. And I think he said it really clearly. This is the one. Anoint him. Here is your next king. Now everyone looks and goes, come on, man. Second lieutenant in the Air Force. A guy that's got a settled life and married this handsome guy who loves to just do worship stuff, and we're going to have him? And the Lord says, yes, we are going to have him because he has something that the others don't necessarily have, and that's what we want. Sounds good? So you're the next king of harvest if we ever get one. All right? Go ahead, bro. <laughs> Sit down. So this kind of gives us what our story is, is all about today because so the first point I want to make today is this. God is looking for ordinary people. <laughs> God is looking for ordinary people. In this instance, David is absolutely ordinary. In fact, he's so ordinary, they didn't even call him to dinner. I mean, remember the scene that we're watching? Here we are, the seven sons are marching by, and each one, God is saying, no, that's not him. No, that's not him. No, that's not him. But gets to the end, and Samuel's like, hold on a second, God. You told me. It's going to be one of Jesse's sons, and all seven of them have walked by me. 
what's going on here? So he's, the only other question is, and I wonder if the spirit said, hey, dude, why don't you ask if he has another kid? He asks if he has another one, and, and this, is, this is a classic answer. They go, oh, yeah. David, yeah, we forgot David, you know? So in a sense, really, he's so ordinary, maybe even less than ordinary, that they didn't even think about inviting him. Could you imagine being part of a family and they're celebrating Father's Day, and you're sitting around the table and you have a special guest, and the special guest is getting to learn everybody's story, and he goes, wow, you have a great family. Is there anyone else? And they go, oh, yeah, there's him. See, David is absolutely ordinary. I mean, think about it. He's young. He's young. He might be 12, 13, 14 years of age. Whatever. He's a teenager, man. What do teenagers know? He's a shepherd. Come on. I mean, the guy's out there doing the lamest job that anyone could do. All you do is just sit around all day, and you make sure some lion or some bear or whatever doesn't come and steal the sheep. That's not really an exciting job. He really doesn't do much. What does this young kid really have to offer? It's just an ordinary, very ordinary kid. Now, we might criticize and go, yeah, you know, that's the Old Testament. That's the way they did things back then. But I wonder how many times if we look at our own church, how do we view leadership at Harvest? Do you ever sit there and go, oh, my goodness, the pastor's on sabbatical. How is the church going to survive? Now, Pastor Stan, right? And we think to ourselves, well, nobody can lead this group. Maybe one of the pastors should do it because they're the ones who really know how to do ministry. Have you ever been asked by someone who says, hey, can you help out with this ministry? And the answer is this. I'm not sure I'm equipped. Have you ever said that? If you've ever said that, raise your hand. I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just being honest with you. You raise your hand. Oh, I'm not equipped to do it. And God's answer is, well, you know what? We're not looking at your skills. We're not looking at your academics. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but that's not really what God is looking for. You see, I read a book once by Wes Stafford. He is one of the chief executive officers at Compassion International. He wrote a book called Too Small to Ignore. And one of the stories he tells is of a six-year-old evangelist, a six-year-old evangelist. Anyone here six years old? There's got to be one person who's six years old. There has to be. No one here six years old? No, I'm not talking about Brian's emotional maturity. Six years old. We have a six years old. I cannot see that far. Is that Lincoln? Lincoln, stand up for a second. So Wes Stafford tells the story of a six-year-old student who is going around and sharing his faith and seeing his friends come to Christ. We look at that and say, come on, six years old, really? you got to be a pastor who is seminary educated to truly lead people to Jesus. And what God is saying is, no, that's not it at all. All I'm looking for is someone who is ordinary. You see, God sees things quite different from the way that we see them. We often put our trust in the experts. You see, the experts are the ones who know what's happening. They're the ones we want to trust. They have the strategy. They have the thinking. And God says, That may be true, but that's not necessarily the person that I'm looking for because their tendency is to trust their experience. Their tendency is to trust the things that they have already gone through, the reading and the studying and the so forth. What I'm really looking for is people who are ordinary, who will not trust in themselves, but who will actually trust in me. 
So the thing that I would want you to walk away with today, most importantly, and primarily, in combination to what I'm about to say next, is that God is looking for ordinary people, which is really hard when I look at Harvest because I think a lot of you are leaders in your industries, people who are really good at what they do. And that's important. But God is looking for ordinary, everyday people who are willing to trust him with their whole heart, mind, and soul so that he can use them to do the ministry in ways that the experts can't. Now, I'm not saying anything about getting an education as being bad. Getting an education is being good. Being a pastor is good. Being educated is good. But those aren't always the people that God is looking for. And if you think about it, probably more people have come to Christ throughout all of history through ordinary people than the experts. As recently listening to a podcast on discipleship.org, and the man was a missionary to India, and he was talking about how in India, in the last 10 years, they have planted 18,000 churches. I mean, again, we're talking like five to seven in the little village, which they consider church, which is fine. But 18,000 churches. And he said, you know what? People don't even know who I am. And they don't care, even though he's one of the top tier leaders of the movement, because the movement, he says, is done by ordinary people who are going out and telling their story as it connects with the story of Jesus, and people are coming to Jesus. That's it. There's ordinary people, not great evangelists, not great leaders, just ordinary people who are spreading the gospel in India. So if there's one thing we learned today, first off, if you uh, anyone under 25 wants to shout it back to me, it would be what? And you can even read it if you want to. Go ahead. Okay, first of all, it's just the crowd here in the front. <laughs> and uh, you're 26 and you're 27. So uh, I'm 25 and under. So I need, I need a little help here because remember, <clears throat> it's a younger crowd. Okay, so let's try it again with the under 25 crowd. Ready? One, two, three. Go ahead. Let me hear you. All right. That's pretty good. All right. Yeah. God is looking for ordinary people. And I told, who was it over here that was so loud? That was pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. All right. I appreciate that. You're paying attention. Make sure they give you an extra prize uh, when you hand in your sermon notes. Which leads us to the second thing that I think is very important. God is looking for ordinary people who have a heart for him. God is looking for ordinary people who have a heart for him. Can we go back to verse 7? If you go... (laughs) I'm not sure how to take that. (laughs) But I have to say, that was pretty cool. All right. Verse 7. You know, it's it's refreshing how honest people are, you know? Because... That the reality is some of you probably as adults are in the middle of a sermon and, and we go, can we go back to it? And you're like, no, please just go on. It's taking so long. All right. Verse 7. We will go back there anyway. My apologies for not listening completely. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Now, God is not rejecting Eliab, and I wouldn't reject Brian just because of his life experience. Brian is a one of the most wonderful people that I have ever met in life. I, I love Brian. He's a really important person in my life. But just because I don't pick him to be the next king slash pastor doesn't mean that God has rejected him or I have. It's just not where God wants him to be because God has someone else in mind. 
So God is not rejecting the person as a person, just rejecting something about them that will say uh, allows them not to be in a higher place of leadership, not to be concerned. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's the biggest thing, because when you look at all the kids that Jesse had, all of them were probably good kids. They were godly kids. In fact, they even went to fight the Philistines before David meets Goliath. But when we're looking at David, what are we doing? We're looking at someone who's ordinary. Here's the forgotten kid of the family. Here's someone that no one remembers. You know, actually, can I tell you, this is a true story. I once thought we forgot Brian, and we didn't invite him to a retreat that we went to. We got all the way up to Wisconsin, and I said, oh, no, where's Brian Cho? Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't matter to me, because at least I'd have remembered him, right? But could you imagine if you're Brian, and you're sitting back there, and no one's around, and you're wondering, what is going on here? Why did they leave without me? Now you begin to understand how David feels, right? He's doing the family business, and they don't invite him to this very important dinner because he doesn't matter. But God is saying, that's the person that I want because he as a teenager is ordinary. But in the midst of his teen years, I'm going to shape him, I'm going to mold him, and I'm going to make him extraordinary. You see, the story isn't necessarily about the ordinariness of David. It's about the extraordinariness of how God takes ordinary people and transforms them into extraordinary people. Because the whole story of Scripture is about how God looks us at us as flawed people, as just simply ordinary people, and says, I love you, important, but also I can use you even though you are ordinary. You don't have to sit there and think, God cannot use me. You just being a child of God, God can take that clay and mold it into something special. See, when we think about David, that's what we're looking at. David had a heart for God. Look at all the Psalms that he's written, the way he pours out his heart, and he, and he weeps for God, he longs for God, he desires God. That's what's extraordinary, in a sense, about this ordinary teenager that is living life in the midst of a nation that necessarily doesn't want God. He's ordinary. Now, mind you, if you know anything about David, the power of his story is that he loves God so much when the Philistines are making fun of God, Goliath is mocking God, he is so angry because he loves God so much that he gets up and says, I will fight him. He's probably the smallest guy there, and he doesn't take any armor with him. He just takes his slingshot, and he goes, I will fight God, which kind of makes us wonder. He has this heart for God. Do you ever get offended? Like, how many, as parents, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but somebody leaves out your kid out of something, you know, with a sleepover or a birthday party or something like that. How as a parent do you feel? And, any, and it's maybe not happened to you, but imagine as a parent, anybody, Linus, how would you feel if someone left out one of your daughters? Well, since it's Father's Day, I'll tell you how you would feel. You'd be angry. You'd be angry. Why is my kid left out? What's wrong with my kid? I love my kid. Everybody should love my kid. And there's that sense of, and that sense of anger. And so when somebody is doing that to God, David is upset because he loves God so much and he wants to honor God and all that. And so in all of these things, you see someone whose heart is for God. You've offended God. And David trusts God so much that two times in his life, 
he had the opportunity to kill King Saul and then become king. And you know what he did with each of those times? You should probably remember, I think Pastor Jeff had a sermon on this a few months ago. What did he do with those two times? Anyone want to remember? Throw something out at me. I think Richard, Richard, I can read your mind. Richard is saying, you know what? Both times he decided not to do anything. He decided not to kill King Saul because he knew that was the wrong way. He trusted God. You see, when God saw David, he saw something in him. He saw his heart, and his heart was for God. And so as you, as ordinary people are out there wondering, can God use someone ordinary like me? The answer, no matter who it is in this room right now, is yes. The only requirement that God has for you is that you would have a heart for him. He is not looking necessarily for your expertise and your skills. He is looking for your heart. There are many people, I think, that we can think of who have a lot of expertise and a lot of skills, but no heart for God, and they are dangerous. But for those who might not be as great in the eyes of the world, God can see greatness because God uses ordinary people who have a heart for him. Let me finish with this. David is a flawed hero in Scripture. Even though I said all those good things about him, and even though we're talking about his ordinary origin story, David is a flawed character. But in the eyes of God, he is extraordinary because in his heart, he loved God. And he eventually became king. Now, there's a king in Scripture even more grander than King David. The real hero of Scripture is the king who would come long after David lived. And the origin story of this king was one that was very simple, very ordinary, probably even less than ordinary, in a sense, being born in a manger. Obscure little piece of plot of land. You know, Bethlehem, who got like Bethlehem? And then moving to Nazareth and all those places. This king was nobody. No fame, no fortune, no glory, no people rising up to meet him. Absolute obscurity. And yet this is the same king, Jesus, who would be a man who lived in poverty, who was a man of sorrows. And yet he, because he would die on that cross for us, to save us, to bring us to his father in relationship. He, as the king, is truly the hero of every story in Scripture. And the key to all of that was his heart for his father. He loved his father, and he loved his father's people, and he would do anything to bring them together. And that's really the ordinary thing that we are. If we are people who are ordinary in whatever it is that we do, God still looks at us, and he looks at our hearts, and he says, that person, I can use them to bring people to my father, to me. And that's awesome. That's what our our king is. And so today we learn these two things. One, God is looking for ordinary people. And two, he is looking for ordinary people who have a heart for him. All right, let me finish with this. And I'm going to put this up on the screen here. And I'm going to give us about one minute of reflection. In the routine ordinary of your life this week. So I really want you to think through this message. Think about one person to whom you can be an expression of Jesus. Think about one person this week. So let's think about, well, maybe we have like 150 people, maybe more here. Could you imagine if 150 ordinary people 
who had a heart for Jesus, then went out and shared with one person some expression of the love of Jesus this week to let them know God loves you. The world that we live in, the small little piece of world that we live in can be transformed because Jesus wants people to come, to come home, to come be with him, to enjoy life as it is intended to be enjoyed. Let's take a moment of silence. ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And our young students, they have a board in which they can write that down. But if you have an iPhone, I'm going to encourage you, even at this time, open your iPhone. Don't check the scores. No games are going on right now. Go to your notes section if you have one. And think of that one person. This week, that one person. And you know what? If you don't come up with somebody today, that's okay. Because God will bring that one person and probably many others into your life. And don't let, I'm just an ordinary person, hold you back. Because most likely, you may very well be. But that's okay. Because God takes the ordinary and he can do something extraordinary. I frequently think of Mike Ryan, as I've mentioned many times, that ordinary Chicago police officer took the time to ask me a simple question. When you die and go to heaven, what is God going to say to you? It was enough to change my life. And I'm here because of someone 41 years ago asking me that simple, ordinary question that leads total transformation of who I am as a person. And you may very well be that person. V.L. Moody had a shoe salesman ask him a similar question. D.L. Moody helped change the world as it was. So whatever you do matters not. What matters is if you love Jesus and you have the opportunity to share him with someone else, you can take that ordinary moment make it extraordinary. Our Father, you are in heaven. You see us so clearly. You see what's good about us. You see the struggles that we have in following you. I mean, you saw David clearly so clearly and yet you still said that is the one he is the one he is the next king he has a heart for me and yes he's a mess but he has a heart for me I pray for this church Father may our hearts long for you not just an emotional desire but a real spiritual hunger and thirst that leads us to earnestly seek your face and your hand of favor that you might take the ordinary people that we are and use us to share the beautiful story of Jesus and how our story has intersected with that beautiful story and changed our lives. We're ordinary, but you, God, are extraordinary. And you take the ordinary and make it extraordinary as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.